Well, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, starting with verse 23. Again, if you're watching online and don't have a Bible, message me. I'd love to send you one for free. Romans chapter 4, starting with verse 23. This is God's Word. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's word. Would you pray with me and ask his blessing on his word preached? Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word, we need you with your resurrection power to come and minister to our hearts and minds. Don't leave us the same today as we came here. Change us by your spirit through your word. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see, maybe some for the first time having been awakened to your gospel. Lord, we need you, and you've made us keenly aware of the need that is always there, and so speak into our needs, you who search our hearts and know us. Shepherd us during this time by your word. So we pray this in your name, our risen Savior. Amen. Well, Paul, uh, the apostle, reminds us that the entirety of the gospel hangs on the resurrection of Jesus. He says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is in futile, and you are still in your sins. Now, it's typical to think that the cross is the central event of the Christian faith, the heart of the gospel. But Paul's point is that if the resurrection of Jesus doesn't happen, then the cross isn't good news. A, a dead Savior who remains in the grave is of no hope. That is a hero to be mourned, not a hero to be celebrated. In the gospel, the good news of God's saving work, actually has two parts, as Paul reminds us here in verse 25, that Jesus was delivered for our trespasses and raised for our justification, cross and resurrection. But if that's going to be good news, I need to ask us a question first. Have you done enough? Have you done enough for God, the righteous judge of all the earth, to be pleased with you, the God in whom there is no imperfection, who dwells in inapproachable light, who is so glorious that the angels in their purity even cover their eyes and can't look on him. A God who, in whom there is no shadow or injustice. Have you done enough for God to be pleased with you? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? No, I don't. I find it easy to love myself, but to love my neighbor even with the same degree of love as I have for myself I've not done enough, but I cared for the poor and made sure the oppressed prosper. Nope. My default mode is to make sure that I prosper. 
Have I loved God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? No, give me an extra five minutes of my time, and I've had a lot of extra five minutes of my time, and, and I begin to pursue the created thing rather than the creator. My heart is just an endless searching for things to satisfy it and not using my, even the extra time I have to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And here's Paul's argument throughout Romans chapter 4. God is a counting God. He is counting our works. He is keeping an account. As the righteous judge, he has a ledger, a record of our works. And the reason that God is counting is because sin is not an abstract breaking of an abstract rule. It is always deeply personal. When God's law is broken, it is his law, which is a revelation of his character. It is deeply personal when we sin against the God of all the earth. And the measure of sin is not what we have done wrong, but who we've done it against. The guilt of our sin has to be measured against the glory of the God whose personal law we've broken. If sin is just a disease, then God can just overlook it. His mercy would be enough. But when sin incurs guilt, God in his righteousness cannot overlook it. He may be patient and not execute his wrath immediately, but he's just in his kindness delaying the inevitable. There will be a day when we are held up to the standard of perfect righteousness. And the accounting God's estimation is that there is no one righteous, no, not one, and when we stand before him, no one will be able to stand. If we were just broken, then it doesn't matter. But we're guilty before God and under his wrath because sin is always an exchange. I have exchanged the glory that the creator is due for my own glory. I have exchanged God as the center of the story of the world with an attempt to put me at the center of the story of the world. And that exchange needs another exchange. My record of sins needs another record exchanged for it. I need a record of righteousness apart from my works because God is counting. And see, the gospel is more than just Jesus died for my sins. Again, from our passage, verse 25, the gospel has two parts. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses at the cross and raised for our justification. The event of the resurrection was more than just a dead man being raised from the dead. That had happened throughout the history of redemption in times past. Jesus had raised Lazarus. Other prophets had raised dead people. This was more than just a dead man being raised. 
the resurrection of Jesus was the sin-cursed man bearing the curse for our sin, being raised in victory over it. Therefore, the resurrection of Jesus was the definitive event in history that changes everything. There are certain events that change everything. Perhaps the coronavirus will be one of those. One of those times when we say there was before the coronavirus and afterwards. But despite what pundits are saying, we are a long way from knowing what, if anything, this will change or if we'll just revert back to normal. But you see, World War II was one of those epic changing events. Apart from the war itself and the impact that a world war has on everyone as a shared experience, World War II ended with the dropping of a nuclear bomb for the first time, and it changed everything. It ushered in a new era. Even on a more personal level, getting married is an epic changing event. Life will always be marked by a change based on a single event. There was before the wedding and after the wedding. That event ushered in a new reality. Births are events that usher in new realities. Death are these kind of epic changing event and event that ushers in a new reality. And what Paul is saying about the resurrection of Jesus is that it was an epic changing event. And one of the ways that it changed reality is it changed the way God counts. See, if the gospel is just Jesus died for my sins so that I can be forgiven, it then begs the question, why did he need to be raised? But then it begs a more personal question. Is God pleased with me? And if Jesus just died for my sins so that I could be forgiven, that question's left unanswered. In other words, if we think the gospel is Jesus just brought me back to zero, that he just forgave my sins and cleared the ledger, but now I think I need to earn a record for myself. And I think this is one of the reasons that so many Christians are living such joyless, shame-burdened lives and are quite frankly burnt out because we're trying to earn a record for ourselves. But here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, about the resurrection of Jesus. That the resurrection of Jesus was the vindication that he was the Son of God and therefore righteous. Verse 4 of chapter 1. And was declared, Jesus, to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Or in other words, to put it this way in light of Romans 4.25, this is what happened in the resurrection of Jesus. God had to raise Jesus from the dead because Jesus was the one righteous man. Or let me say it one more way. God, the judge of all the earth, was bound by justice to raise Jesus from the dead because of his record of righteousness. Or another way, the righteousness of Christ was greater than the sins that were laid on him. And that's 
verse 25 of our passage. His resurrection was not just for his vindication as the Son of God, but for our justification. Justification is a word that means to be counted as righteousness or to be accounted as righteous. It is a word from the legal realm. It means to stand before the judge and be judged as righteous. In our judicial system, we simply declare someone not guilty. Or we might send them to jail and we say they've done their time and they got to get out. We rehab them and then it's up to them to make a life for themselves, to earn a record for themselves. And that's, I think, the way that we generally think of the gospel. Jesus went into the jail for me, paid my debt, but now it's up to me to make my impact on the world. But one, listen to the way one author sets it straight about the resurrection of Jesus in our justification to be counted or accounted before the judge as having a record of righteousness. The credit of Jesus's righteousness, he says, is much larger than the debt of our sin. His account had a more positive approval than the negative disapproval that was due to all of us. The debt was paid, and as a result, as a righteous man and the beloved son of the Father, God the Father, was entirely just to raise him. That's the importance of 4 in verse 25. This is why that language is just so loaded, because that language of 4 is the language of substitution. It's the language of on behalf of, or for the sake of, who was delivered up for, for the sake of our trespasses, and raised for, for the sake of our justification. Jesus substituted himself for the death we deserve to die, and he also substituted himself for the life we couldn't live. He took our record of sins, and he gave us his record of righteousness so that before the God, the judge of all the earth, the record of Jesus' works is transferred to our account so that God counts us as righteous because Jesus' righteous record becomes our righteous record. And how do I know that his record is enough for me to be counted as righteous. Look at the resurrection, Paul says. It proves that his record was enough. And so you might be asking, how do I access that record? How do I get justified? How do I get counted as righteous before God, the judge of all the earth? Verse 22. It's not in our passage, but it's just before what we've printed, if you've got your Bible. And the answer is by faith, not by works. Verse 22, faith is counted as righteous. Verse 24 then leads into our passage. It will be counted to us who believed in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. In other words, it's not a work. Faith is not something you do. Think of faith as a conduit, right? It attaches itself to Jesus. Faith is like hooking up your hose pipe to the 
faucet outside your house, your hose is empty, it just connects to another water source. And on the other side of that faucet is a lot of work that somebody else has done. The water had to be brought to the treatment plant, treated, then distributed to your house. You didn't do any of that. You probably didn't lay down any of the plumbing in your home, aren't even aware of the labor that went into it. You just hook up your empty hose to that faucet and it flows. The work of another flows to you. That's how faith works. It's just a conduit that connects to Jesus. And here's the thing. We all have our hose of faith connected to something. Faith isn't just something religious people have and modern people don't. We all have the hose of our life connected to some faucet for our sense of identity, worth, sense of security. It may be connected to science or essential oils or our jobs or our education. We've all hooked up the hose of our being to something for worth, purpose, and security. And we are hoping that they will pour their blessings into us and give us life. But here's the thing. They're all taking life from us. We've hooked up the hose and they're just sucking life right out of us. But when we hook up to Jesus, verse 4 of chapter 4, if you have your Bible, this is what happens. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as due. Like if I go to my job and I do my work, then I've earned it. Contrast that with the one who believes and does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. God is counted. And the record of righteousness is now in your account. That is, in God's counting, an exchange is made based on the death and resurrection of Jesus. The account of our sins, when we hook up to Jesus, the account of our sins flows to Jesus, and Jesus' account of righteousness flows to our account. Now, if you're anything like me, you are probably thinking at this point, I don't feel righteous. And of course you don't. You aren't, in your own works, righteous. But you see, that's the beauty of the gospel from our assurance of pardon. God justifies the ungodly. God counts you as righteous even though you aren't doing righteous things because the righteous account of Jesus, which was enough, proved in his resurrection, is credited to your account, and God's counting is more important than your accounting. Imagine you're terribly poor, destitute. You can't make your welfare check meet ends, and you are in a constant state of worry. You don't even like when this happens. I know when my bank account gets low, I just don't even look. You don't even like to look anymore. I'm just going to live in denial of my record of righteousness. It's so depleted. There's no hope there. It only makes me despair. But then imagine that one day a benefactor shows up in your life and he Venmos you $100 billion. Well, you get on Venmo and you're going to accept that gift. Who wouldn't? And then, then it gets deposited into your account and your status is changed forever by that once-for-all transfer. 
Then you wake up in the middle of the night. Cold sweats all over you, constant worry about where your next meal is going to come from. What would you do? You would say to yourself, look, you don't have to worry anymore. Do you remember that event in the past where the transfer happened? That is true. And it has resulted in an abundance in your account. And you would preach that truth to yourself. But sometimes it's hard to believe that. So what would you do next? You would log into your account. You'd look at your bank, at the objective reality, and you would say to yourself, Self, there is more in your account than you could spend in a lifetime. I may have made a foolish purchase. I may have incurred a new bill. I may have bought something I should not have bought. But my Savior has put more into my account than I could ever spend. That's the brilliance of Robert Murray McShane's pastoral advice for everyone look at yourself take 10 looks at Jesus because who I am in Christ with his righteousness is so much more important than who I am in myself or even how I view myself because the record of Jesus from the perspective of God who counts is more important than how I feel about my own good or evil. And so a new era has begun. We are no longer in our sins, but in Christ, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And in this new era, on the other side of the resurrection, we have to learn to live in what is objectively ours in Christ. That's what faith is. It's saying, God, what you say about me is in Christ more important than how others account me or even how I account myself. And so let me highlight for us three freedoms that flow out of our justification through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Three freedoms. There are more than this, but we don't want to be here all day. One freedom from performance our life screams at us you have not done enough and the gospel screams back you will never do enough there will always be someone better at whatever it is you think you're good at than you and even if you are the best you won't be good enough because your pursuit is not to be excellent but to be righteous And no one is justified by works. You just simply can't measure up. But the gospel says to us, look, you're worse than you think you are, but in Christ you're more loved and righteous than you could ever dare dream. But if we're going to be free from the oppression of performance, we have to change our accounting. In accounting terms, you write off things that have lost their value. Those are liabilities and The Christian life consists of writing off all our achievements as liabilities and then counting our only asset as the righteousness of Christ. And that is what frees us from the constant treadmill of performance. Performance 
trying to earn a righteousness for ourselves, a record for ourselves so that we can finally feel stable and secure is like trying to go up the down escalator. There's a lot of activity, but you don't go anywhere. And the gospel says to us is just turn around and ride on the back of Jesus and his record. But the gospel also gives us freedom from pretending. In this one, I, I sort of mean the appearance of having our act together. If we're justified in Christ, we don't have to hate our weaknesses and flaws. We don't have to be afraid if others see them either because what the gospel says to us is that God in his justice, God the judge of all the earth has seen us as we truly are. And Christ was crucified for our trespasses, raised for our justification. And so God the righteous judge knows me as I really am and counts me as righteous in spite of myself, then I am free to neither live in denial of my flaws or hide them from others. And then thirdly, freedom from divisiveness. And I went here because I think it's interesting to watch our culture swing from radical individualism to tribalism. People are lamenting the fragmenting of society and increasing gulfs between groups. But look, tribalism is really at its core a search for a righteous identity. My politics are more righteous than your politics. Or generational tribalism. Okay, boomer, those millennials. Which is nothing more than my generation is more righteous than your generation. But see, when we can't obtain a righteousness by works, we attempt to find the flaws in others and compare ourselves against them. But if a record has been given to me of completely righteous in the resurrected and reigning Jesus Christ, if in the eyes of the righteous judges that I'm counted as a righteous sinner, then I'm free to love and encourage and see the strengths of other tribes and not hate the weaknesses of other tribes. You see, this is why the gospel really should be breaking down racial and ethnic barriers. Because it says, my Racial ethnicity is not righteous, not more righteous than others. It should be breaking down political divisions between God's people. Because if our record is in the righteousness of Christ, then I don't have to fight like my identity is built on my politics. It is built on how God sees me in Christ and he sees me as righteous. I could not be more righteous in Christ than I already am. And I can't be less righteous in Christ than I already am. So let me close with this story. Mark Gornick moved into the Sandtown neighborhood of Baltimore. Sandtown is widely considered to be one of the worst inner city neighborhoods in the United States. And like most inner city neighborhoods, it is oppressed by a complex web of poverty, crime, poor education, broken homes, a web that is immensely difficult to untangle. But Gornick moved into Sandtown to plant a church, and it was thriving. And so one day, Miroslav Sloth, Wolf, visited Gornick. Wolf is an esteemed Yale theologian, 
from high brow university ivy league school and he wanted to see what the key was to this community that was thriving this church plant that was thriving in one of the worst places in the united states and here's what gornick said that the renewing of a place like sandtown was due to the doctrine of justification by faith alone in the resurrected Christ alone. Both was perplexed by this. This was a dead doctrine that intellectuals batted around and could have no impact on the complex problems of the poverty-stricken people of Sandtown. And this is what Gornick says, quote, Imagine you have no job, no money, You live cut off from the rest of society in a world ruled by poverty and violence. Your skin is the wrong color and you have no hope that any of this will change. Around you is a society governed by the iron law of achievement. Its gilded goods are flaunted before your eyes on TV screens. And in a thousand ways, society tells you every day you're worthless because you have no achievement. You are a failure and you know that you will continue to be a failure because there's no way to achieve tomorrow which you have not managed to achieve today. Your dignity is shattered. Your soul is enveloped in the darkness of despair. But the gospel tells you that you are not defined by outside forces. It tells you that you count even more than you are loved unconditionally and infinitely irrespective of anything you have achieved or failed to achieve. Imagine now this gospel, not simply proclaimed, but embodied in a community, justified by sheer grace. It seeks to justify by grace those declared unjust by society's implacable law of achievement. Imagine, furthermore, this community determined to infuse the wider culture along with its political and economic institutions with the message that it seeks to embody and proclaim. This is justification by grace, proclaimed and practiced. The resurrection of Jesus has ushered in a new epic of change. The one event changed everything because he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now God has accounted our sins to the record of Jesus and given us his righteous record so that we can be free to put our swords down, to love one another, to give in abundance, to be mistreated when necessary because none of these things can touch what we have not built with our own hands, but what God has built for us and vindicated in the sufficiency of his son. On this we rest and on Christ we hope because he is enough. Let's pray. Lord, I would ask that you would you would cause us to live by faith and not by sight. To consider your accounting more important than the accounting of those who watch us or 
our own sense of our worth. May we bank our sense of significance on this. Christ is enough. And his record is mine forevermore. And we pray for your spirit to help us to believe what is most unbelievable and untangle our hearts from performance and pretending. For we ask this in your name, our Savior. Amen.